are you all? It's good to be here with you. As I was coming up, what struck me is that the gospel message is alive and well. And we, like the first apostles, gather together to uh, learn about Christ and to try to know him better. And I also thought to myself to wonder if you've ever had a really faithful friend, someone you really relied upon and you take them for granted maybe a bit, but this friend was just always there for you. And uh, think about that for a moment. Someone who was always there for you, faithful. And what I want you to think about is the gratitude that you felt for this person. Well, you have to accept that that's how Christ feels toward you. He's grateful. He has gratitude, the gratitude of God the King to faithful servants and also of a man of Christ who walked the earth because he looks here today and you're here. We're together seeking better understanding of God. The other thing that occurred to me um, driving up is that in order to be truly happy on earth, we have to divest ourselves of the opinions of any people. We have to let it go and just kind of um, fall back into, again and again, into God, into Christ, into this reality that you are created by God and you are with God. Really, true freedom and happiness is, is found in that kind of um, certainty that you are loved. You are loved right now in this condition today and uh, the, the good, the bad, and the not so, you know, the not so great moments. So I think what I will do is um, ask the Lord for an anointing on us all, and uh, let's pray for that now. We ask you, Lord, to send your grace upon this beautiful gathering, your friends and followers. We ask for a grace of quiet in our heart and so that we can receive what, whatever it is that we need to receive from you. Amen. Okay, good. All right, so I'm Anne, and this is our work. We're happy to visit you. We love what you're doing here. And we love working with you and with your team. Is Pio here? Is this the heavenly voice? Oh, my goodness. Lovely. I only heard Grace coming through a voice like that. Never mind Father Darius, because it always comes through his beautiful voice. But in Chinacolo, there was a, um, a young man who was singing into the guitar. Whoa, same thing. You can feel that nice, uh, lovely grace of heaven coming through you. Well done. Your voice is beautiful. Um, so, I think that our Catholic faith has to be offered in each time uh, for the time. So, we are always in this dynamic attempt to take what can't change, 
but put contemporary um, meaning on it for the people who are alive now. So that's what we're attempting to do. One of the things that's very close to our hearts is human formation. Maybe Father spoke about that. Um, it's the kind of thing like you're, you are a human, human being. You're going to work and operate like a human being. There are certain things that we share uh, because of our, our uh, human state. And so we try to offer that formation with the spiritual. As a matter of fact, our methodology is to always do human, spiritual, scripture, and tradition. Human, spiritual, scripture, and tradition. We weave it like that. So now, we agreed we would talk about contemplative prayer. In our apostolate, we teach a contemplative prayer structure. And the reason we have created this structure is to teach people to bring Christ into every area of their experience. Now, the reason that's important is because God loves all of you. He loves every part of you. He has hope in the potentials that you hold in time. People need help. People need to know that they're loved. They need to know God is real and that everything ends well. And that, that hope to be carried out to other people, it depends on you and I. It depends on our relationship with God. So it has, to, it has to saturate, my friends. Did you ever know a Christian um, who seemed very unhappy, seemed very un- unsure of God? You know, the Christian message is one of, of, of um, dynamic transformation, yes, but also salvation. We're okay. Everything's all right. Christ is, Christ is with us. So now let's take a piece of that. Let's take, uh, in the structure, there are uh, three, four, five, six, seven rooms, areas, where you do certain work with Christ. The idea, again, that Christ is with you in every area of your life. You don't have a spiritual life and then the rest of it. It's, it's all one thing. So let's say that we're examining our conscience. Okay, so now, how many here came from perfect families? Don't raise your hand. Okay. How many here came from families that were imperfect? Okay, you can all raise your hand now. We share this. Our human story includes radical imperfection and also astonishing nobility. Both are part of your story, okay? So you will have had wounds, you will be carrying wounds that will need healing. You remember Christ said to the paralytic, do you want to be healed? He said, do you want to be healed? He didn't say, are you sick? It was abundantly clear that the paralytic required healing. He needed healing. But he needed to want healing. He needed to want healing. You and I need to desire something from Christ. We need to desire, we need to say, admit, I need, I crave healing, Jesus, and that only you can bring. 
It's not just about what you're doing for Jesus. That's not the relationship. Jesus isn't using us. He's crazy about us. He's grateful to us. He counts you as his friend. My friends, bringing the gospel message into the world is, um, are the hands must be trembling when we offer the gospel message. The hands must be a little trembling because it is so sacred. And the eternal part of you, the eternal part of everybody, is it's sacred. So we bring the Lord with hands that are trembling, hands that have, you know, we offer him very humbly. And so, okay, now this imperfection, we're holding a space in time, a state, we're holding a state of being. We're full of hope because of Christ. And yet we are also mired in our humanity, our feet are on the ground. So in a sense, we have, to, we have to bear the tension of our sinfulness, our mistakes, our flawed offerings on any given day, and also God's perfection. We are somehow in the middle of this. This is here, and our broken humanity too, and we're together in this. Um, we don't lose hope because of our sinfulness, we don't lose hope because of it. Our hope is in Christ. The Eucharist is like a transformation agent. When you receive Christ in the Eucharist, the Eucharist is carrying this perfect God, and let's say that this is, comes into you, and then it's different from you. The Eucharist is God, it's perfect, and we're not. So we're, we're carrying Christ in our bodies now, and it's affecting us. Receiving Christ every day in the Eucharist will change you. It will change you if you want to be healed. If you crave it, if you desire it, if you know that you need it, it will happen. So, you know, welcome. Good, evening. Good to you. see you. Yes, you're very welcome. We're just having a casual chat, so. Um, my friends, I think that the Eucharist, it is God here on earth. It's something from heaven, and yet, because of Father Dare's fidelity, you know, we can, we can uh, be with God here. It's good that we are here committed to the gospel message because the world needs the Eucharist. The world needs something that resonates perfectly. To be a contrast, if nothing else, to what is flawed humanity. So um, we adore Jesus, we worship him, we have gratitude in our hearts for him. We keep coming back, don't we? We keep showing up. We keep coming back. And Jesus has gratitude. So now we're going to examine our conscience and say we go into this room. 
Okay, so the first thing in a virtue-based spirituality, the first thing to look for is everything you're doing right. Well, I was brought up and I was taught that my conscience is the place to go to spare myself nothing. Really tell yourself off. Let yourself have it. Everything you're doing wrong. You count your sins and, you know. Um, imagine my wonder when I read the catechism as an adult. And it said that your con conscience is man's secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. Conscience is man's secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. Well, I thought, that's beautiful. That is a relief. How many of you have been misunderstood in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. How many here have been judged falsely? Raise your hand. How many here have been at a loss to explain to someone that you're not really a bad person, but they won't believe you? Okay. I cannot promise you that that will never happen to you again. I can't promise you that, but I can promise you this. It will never happen to you in your conscience. Never. Jesus will always understand you perfectly. He will be far more merciful than you are to yourself. He knows your full story. He knows why a sin co is committed in 2018 and how it links back to 2002. You might not be doing that work for yourself. You might not be connecting the dots. But Jesus always connects the dots. He has your full story. There's nobody else in your conscience. So now when you go to examine your conscience, it's really the safest place for you on the planet, while you're on the planet. It's perfectly safe. Your secret core and your sanctuary. You're alone with God. There's nobody else there. So when you're examining your conscience, keep everybody else out of it. Keep their opinions of you out of it. It's, it's not relevant. What's relevant is you, a beloved child of the Father, resting in truth. The truth is not too much to bear, ever, if God is with you. The only time the truth is difficult to bear is without God. I remember in a addiction treatment center with a male population, we were discussing getting your head around the mistakes that you've made and the painfulness of that. And it's a very manly thing to do to sit in a chair next to the mistakes you've made in life and acknowledge them, be, have a state of being that holds hope despite mistakes. It's mature. It's for you. It has to be done so that you can be free of worrying about what anyone thinks of you. It's a purgatorial state. It's a purgatorial state. We're meant to do purgatory here. Don't be afraid of your mistakes. Don't ever be afraid of your mistakes or what anyone thinks of you. It's, it's a waste of time. It's energy gone. 
Okay, so you're in your conscience, your safe place. Now, so now, because we are promoting a virtue-based spirituality, any mother knows that if you can see a little boy and he's wrecking the place, you know, like the comment is, oh, you're trying to be good? And the little boy's almost confused out of his bad behavior because he's like, well, yeah, but I'm having a hard time with it today. Okay. Any mother knows she'll focus on what the child is doing right. And the child will do what? More of it. So what are you doing right? Let's, let's do a, a game here. Someone will watch me on the time. I'm not connected to it. Uh, in this, um, okay. So Father and I were in a, a prison, a maximum security prison. For <laughs> doing a little time uh, with a teenage girl population. So we were asked to go, okay, sure, this is a maximum security prison for teenage girls. Okie doke. I wonder what's going on in this place. So we went in, and no problem. The girls come out. They're beautiful. They look like my daughters. I have four daughters. They all look as beautiful as my girls. And they sit down. Let me ask you this question first. How does a fit? Why does a 15-year-old girl commit murder? Why might a 15-year-old girl commit murder? Oh. Pardon? Oh. Pain. Pain. Hurt. Absolutely. Why else? Let's contemplate this 15-year-old murderess. Revenge or, revenge or, or to protect themselves. From so self-defense, to protect themselves. Revenge, which would be hurt, fury, uncontrolled emotions. Why else? Now, we're doing something holy. We're contemplating somebody. We're, con we're holding them in our mind, trying to explain behavior that's unthinkable. Why else might a 15-year-old girl commit murder? She wants peace. She's she wants peace. Something is... She's trying to fix problems. She's trying to solve, <coughs> solve an immediate problem with a rather, you know, canon kind of thing, yeah? She could have, like, a mental illness. She could be mentally ill. Arguably, she has to be, to a degree. You know, this is not the answer. Why else? This is good. Quiet and thinking is good. Contemplation. Because she can. Because she's capable of it, yeah. Why else? So mental health. I'm looking for addiction. Someone is addicted um, to protect somebody else. Teenage boys commit murder. Most often it's their stepfather and they're protecting their mother. But, okay, so anyway, we're in there with these girls. So we're doing a little bit of psycho-spirituality. We want them to have, to know God loves them, and we want them to learn to love themselves more. So we say, okay, uh, ladies, let's go back to the last 24 hours and think about something that you did that was good, right, holy, loving, kind, just honest, a good thing. And they all stared at me. So I said, all right, now close your eyes and try harder. Let's go back for a week, maybe. In the past week, girls, let's think of something you did that was good, loving, kind. Maybe it was a little thing, but it was noble because you so badly didn't want to do it or because it was so difficult for you. 
So then the girls closed their eyes. My daughter later said, never ask people in prison to close their eyes. They won't do it. It's not safe. But um, so uh, I said, go back. And so they just stared at me. So I said, go back to your whole life. What is something you did that you're glad about, that was good, that you're proud of, was kind? The right thing, simply the right thing. So a little girl raised her and she goes, Miss, uh, we're prisoners. Nobody in here thinks like that. They had been so separated from their goodness, their dignity in God, that they didn't believe that they had permission to contemplate themselves with anything but condemnation. Arguably, contemplating themselves positively frighten them. So no problem. We were able to, as a mother does, reflect them back mercifully, lovingly, in truth. You're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And uh, I said, since we've been here, you have been holier than many Christians, the way they treat each other, the way they comfort each other, the way they offer help. We were with them for quite some time. We saw all of that. It was powerful. So I said, try again. Not good enough. Ladies, you can do better. You've been do, do, Just think about what you've done that was good since we got here. They're respectful. They were kind. They were polite. They had good manners. They were taking care of this little boy who was uh, developmentally challenged who was there. So then they began to contemplate themselves positively. And the whole thing lifted. The whole thing lifted. And then I said, well, what would you like to do when you're out of here, when you're succeeding, when you're back in school? Where are you going? What do you want to do? So they all had great ideas then and hopes. My friends, do you have hope? What do you want to do? What have you done right in the past 24 hours? So let's do it. Let's close your eyes. We'll protect your safety. And close your eyes if you're comfortable for a moment. And try to think, let the Lord show you. What is something you've done in the past 24 hours that was good? Okay, open your eyes, and sorry to be abrupt, but it's not meant to be a long thing. The point is, a couple of things should have dropped down right away. Right away, a couple of things should have dropped down into your mind that you did that were really good in the past 24 hours. Now, with adult people who aren't in prison, half of them will say, yeah, okay, I came up with a couple of things, and I'm happy I did in the last 24 hours. Half will be like, I don't know what you're doing. Half of the people, Christians, Catholics, will be like, I'm confused. Now, is it possible they don't do anything right in 24-hour period? No. You're here. So, you know, if, maybe if you're one of the people who didn't get anything, let me just say you came to Mass tonight came here because of Christ. Another decision in fidelity to our king. There you go again, just doing the right thing. It's crucial for Christ and for the Catholic Church that we begin to contemplate ourselves positively. When you have a group of people who follow God who are getting it mostly right, how many here would say, generally speaking, they're doing the best they can in life? 
Raise your hand if you think. Are you doing the best you can, generally speaking? I can't be the only one. Okay. It's going to have to be good enough for you that you're doing the best you can on most days with some mistakes. It is good enough for God. You are good enough for God. He loves you passionately. But in order to get like what I said in the beginning, that happiness, that, that buoyant Christianity that so attracts people that they all want to know what we're, what do you do? Why are you so confident? Why are you so happy? Because Christ loves me. Happy because I'm loved. Happy because I'm precious. I cherish. I share eternal dignity with every other human being. So you're in your conscience. And you're thinking about everything you've done right. What have I gotten right? Okay, how's my trend? How's my trend? I'm generally on course. I'm got a bit of a prayer life going. I'm trying to be a good person. I helped somebody yesterday when I didn't want to. I'm um, out of a bad relationship. I've uh, separated myself from friends who are taking me down. Um, and then, those are good things. You and Jesus together can agree, yeah. You're doing good. There's good things happening. You're doing good things. Faithful to your family, taking care of children, spouses, sisters, brothers, whatever. And then something comes down. We talked about this beautiful, perfect Eucharist, that this resonance. But do you something comes to your mind that doesn't resonate with God. It's bad action. Possibly it elevates to the level of a sin. Are you with me? Yes? Okay. And you're like, okay, I, I've done a bad thing. Um, be careful when you accuse yourself of sin. It's not a sin if you can't help it. All right? I mean, you know, Christ isn't the accuser. Who's the accuser? Who's the accuser? Exactly. If you are representing the accuser to yourself, you are not representing God to yourself. You're distorting him, really. I'm not saying be afraid of the truth of your actions. I'm not afraid of anything I've done. You just want to be know. You want to know how, where you stand with God, and that's what this is all about. Okay, so you say, yeah, okay. Oh, actually, Lord, I'm embarrassed, but I told a lie. I told a blatant lie. Okay, that's what you're doing in your conscience. And this is what comes down that's not resonating with the Eucharist resonance. So you told a lie. Okay, now, remember what we did for the girls in prison? We contemplated that. We said, why? Why is a 15-year-old committing murder? My friends, you have to do the same thing for yourself. You have to do this work. There's nobody else who can do your work on this planet. It's your work. I told a blatant lie. Oh my God, how embarrassing is that? I just told a blatant lie. Jesus, I, I lied. Wasn't true. So now, this is the important work. So here's the sin. It's a sin to tell a lie. And uh, it, you can never let the sin just sit out here by itself. That's what the accuser does. Always come back to the human person, the child. Why did, I, why did I do this? Why did I contribute this yesterday? 
And then you're thinking about yourself compassionately. Why did I tell a lie? Well, here's it over here. Okay, here, I'll tell you why I told a lie. I was embarrassed. And then I did this. I felt someone was intruding upon my privacy. And then I told a lie. Um, I felt uh, rejected. And then I said something cruel. I um, was hungry. And then I stole something to eat. Um, I, I was lonely, and then I drank 17,000 drinks. Whatever it is, don't be afraid of it. Your sins aren't spectacular. Every priest has always said people generally confess the same things. We're all in the same boat. It's not just you. So you're in your conscience, and your conscience is where you're going now to understand yourself as God understands you. Never examine your conscience without that formula. I was afraid and then I did this. I was enraged and then I did this. I wasn't taking care of my human self. I was exhausted and then I contributed this. I was addicted to something and then I did this, 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 this. Okay? How does that sound? Good? All right, that's one room. And the idea is if you can be trained, you know, to uh, learn about this formulas and the, like the um, how to integrate human formation into your relationship with God, your relationship with God will improve. And we will then be presenting a more accurate understanding of our Savior. Now, just to say about the human mind and God's mind. Okay, you have the, this uh, God, this um, perfection. The mind of God is, is, is unlimited. It's infinite. It's vast. It sees a limitless amount of potentials for solving our problems. God sees a limitless amount of potentials every day for you to both give and receive mercy. And that's why when you're in a state of being with God, you're, you're open to those things. Um, the human mind is quite small compared to this infinite mind. The human mind is limited. It's always going to want to you know, nail God to the floor and make him behave. This is God, because I say this is God. That's all you need to know about God. I know all there is to know about God. Okay, can that be true? Yes or no? Absolutely not. God's always doing two things in our Catholic faith. He's always surging forward with development and holding true to what cannot change. There's always two things going on. Holding true to what cannot change and surging forward in development. We can be part of either or both, but we can't point fingers at each other and discount the role of other people. Um, this infinite mind of God knows where we need to go. If you want to know God, you simply have to relinquish the idea that you have all the answers. Let it go. You don't. God has all the answers. 
So sitting with God in contemplative prayer means surrendering to anything you think you know and giving God a shot at showing you what he knows. God will take you incrementally into greater and greater levels or places and you will grow. You will stretch. If you're following Christ, you have to change. You have to change. Something has to always be breaking down and being left behind. When you're breaking something down and leaving it behind, uh, it's painful. You'll be experiencing pain. You know, maybe you're disappointed in yourself and you have to go forward anyway. Well, that about describes the Christian walk in totality, really. It's the same as that holding that state of being with the hope and the flawed humanity. What am I trying to say there? Christianity is not about ticking boxes. It's not about that. Those parameters, our teachings, are protective in nature. Can I tell you that nobody is in full compliance with the teachings? Nobody. Because there's a spirit of the law and there's a letter of the law. If you about manage the letter of the law, it's time to be introduced to the spirit. You see what I'm saying? So I think we do have a little issue in our faith of in or out Catholics, like they're either in or they're out. And you know, that's, that's not accurate. It distorts God, it distorts our church. So I, I, I really think that we all need to be a little more uh, buoyant in the spirit than that. And you know, we want people in the sacramental life because of the invisible grace. We need that grace, the invisible grace. I'll, I'll conclude now in a minute. I, know, I don't know what the time is, but I, uh, let me just think about that for one second. Okay. Why do we want to attract people back to the sacraments? So that they can, their state of being can change too. Because the more people who are resonating with God, who are holding a state of being of hope and uh, joy, um, the better we will all be on this this planet Earth. Gospel message is crucial right now. Christ dying for us is crucial. Um, there's something else I want to say. Oh, uh, it's about down. Just let me think a minute. I feel like if we, the more we know Christ, the more joyous we become, the more free we become. Our mistakes aren't like 200 pounds on our back. We don't even feel them. Christ died for those. I'm okay. Jesus loves me. I'm doing great. You know, that's the, that has to be the disposition. That disposition will attract people. My friends, we do human formation programs because they are bridges back to the sacraments. We are trying to build a bridge entrance in the world with non-practicing people that they will get on, like, and cross, and be back into the sacraments. I believe the sacramental life is the highest way to live on earth. 
I believe this. I'm confident about this. So building a bridge where people aren't practicing is a great idea. And that's what we're trying to do.